Good evening. Hope you've had a good day. I've had a wonderful day. I started out with grits this morning. <clears throat> I never dreamed I would see grits in Ohio. <clears throat> That's like spinach to Popeye, folks. You better put your seatbelts on tonight. And I took a nap this afternoon. I am ready to go. But first of all, I, uh, I like, I've got to do something that I have to do. I like all the mothers to raise their hand. Keep them up. All the mothers, raise your hand. Thank you. You may put them down. It seemed like that Sunday night... I really blew it. Some of you are laughing, and you know what happened. Uh, innocently, ladies, and this is to the mothers, innocently, I gave an illustration about travailing and that it was in pain, and that I knew what pain was like because I sat beside my wife while she was in labor having a baby. And somebody said later, didn't you hear the collective groan come from the women? I have been accosted. Is that the right word? Accosted for two days now. So I called my wife to get some comfort, and I told her what I said, and she said, you really didn't say that, did you? I said, honey, I did. She said, you better apologize. And so here I am. <clears throat> please, please let up on me. I apologize. Do you remember the, um, remember the Liberty Insurance commercial, Liberty Mutual? There is a husband and wife standing in front of the Statue of Liberty, and he says this. Liberty, Mutual, Liberty Mutual's accident forgiveness means that, we, that they won't hike our rates over one mistake. And then he says, see, he looks at her and says, see, Liberty Mutual doesn't hold grudges. So am I forgiven? I didn't hear that. Am I forgiven? Praise God. Let's move on. It's... Uh, it's fun to be with you. You know, I, uh, this afternoon I went to the office, or this, I guess it was the morning, I went to the office and looked at some of the old brochures. Uh, if you've never done that, friends, you need to do that. Uh, some of the greats, I mean most of the greats of the holiness movement have preached here. And it humbles me more than you will ever know uh, to stand in the same place. And I, but I found two that really kind of shocked me and I was glad about. In 1960, Dr. Charlie Cochran preached here. Dr. Cochran was my pastor for nine years. It was because of Dr. Cochran that I went to Asbury. Had a powerful influence on my life, and he preached here. In 1963, Dr. Kenneth Frazier pastor of the Allegheny Center Alliance Church, CMA Church, 
in Pittsburgh. He was my wife's pastor. And it's because of him that she came to Asbury. And it's because of those two that we are together. And I guess that's the reason I'm here today. So there's just some really, really neat stuff uh, that we can... I think maybe sometime this week I'm going to preach on divine coincidences. How God just orchestrates that. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John. The most familiar passage in all of Scripture, the third chapter, beginning with 16. John 3.16. If you're able, if you'll stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then if you'll turn with me, please, over to the 15th chapter of John. I'll be reading the first eight verses. Let me, before I read this, let me say this. Whenever God wants to really impress something upon us, He had the Holy Spirit to inspire the writer, John, to repeat himself. And that's, that's the way all through Scripture. Uh, my wife taught second grade. When she wants to impress something upon me, she repeats herself. Usually not once or twice, but three or four times. The older I get, it ends up being six or seven times. She wants me to understand it. She wants me to really remember what, I'm try- what she's trying to convey to me. And that's what the Spirit is saying. So you listen. And the word I want you to listen for is the word remain. I, uh, John, I like King James better. Abide. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a difference, but, but it's similar. So listen to this, please. So you listen to those. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. Anna. Is a beautiful, it's a true story. Happened a good while, a long time ago, actually. Anna was, a, at that time, a, a, a beautiful, she still is beautiful, but a beautiful seven-year-old blonde. I want you to get this picture. 
blonde, seven years old, prissy as you will ever find. You got it? Some of you know some Annas, don't you? This Anna. Anna has a brother. At the time of the story, David was five or six, just under Anna. Anna was going on 17. David had some learning disabilities, but he was in school. One day, David and Anna had a little brother-sister tiff, a little fight, which is not really true because David never had a fight with anybody, but Anna was always finding trouble. I don't know what it was about, but she was very upset with her brother. And she made this pronouncement in only the way that Anna could do it. I am never, ever, as long as I live, going to speak to David. The only problem with her pronouncement is that after she made it, she remembered there was a few things she still needed to tell him. Anna was a very smart little girl. She figured it out very quickly. She went in her room. She shut the door. She got a piece of paper and a pencil, and she decided to write her brother a letter. And so here's what she said. Dear David, I'm never going to speak to you again, and don't you ever touch any of my toys again, signed Anna. David was in his room. The door was shut. Anna walks over, and she sees the door. She knows he's in there. She takes the note, and she slides it under the door. David saw the note come floating under the door, and he knew it had to be from his sister. Now, the problem was David couldn't write. I mean, he could write some words, but not many. But he wrote, he decided he knew it was from his sister, and that was so nice of her to send him a note. And so she decide, he decides to write her a note since he couldn't read hers, and he writes these words, a piece of paper and a crayon, I, L-O-V-E, I love Y-O-U, I love you, D-A-V-I-D. He opens his door, went, looks and finds his sister, and he, with a smile on his face, just hands his note to his sister. She sees the note, and she knows he doesn't quite catch on. He's not getting what's going on. She's very upset now. And so she goes back into her room and gets a paper and a pencil. She starts writing again. Dear David, I'm never going to speak to you again. Don't you ever come into my room again. Don't you ever touch any of my toys again. Anna. David's back in his room. The door shut. She gets the note. She's so angry. She flies it under the door. David sees the note and thinks, that's so sweet. I'll write her another letter. So he sits at his desk with a piece of paper and a crayon and writes, I love you, D-A-V-I-D. Walks in with the biggest grin on his face, hands his note to his sister. This time she burst into tears, goes running through the house looking for mom and dad, just screaming, Mom, Dad! They're in the kitchen at the kitchen table. She comes in and just, just falls on the thing, just, just crying. Every time I tell David how much I don't like him, every time I tell David how mad I am, and every time I just, all he ever says is, I love you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You know, friends, I, um, I used to preach a similar sermon to this, or, but I entitled it what I don't entitle this. Uh, I used to entitle it Heaven or Hell. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm, I believe in heaven with all my heart. 
I can't wait to go. I mean, I know there's a heaven. I know I'm going to be with Jesus. I, you know, I'm just, it's there, I know. But I also believe in hell. Uh, if there's a heaven, there has to be a hell. You can't get saved from nothing. You have to be saved from hell in order to be to heaven. I understand that. But I've changed my thinking. And, and I mentioned the other night, it's taken me a long time. I'm so slow to learn. But I think, I know now, I think I know exactly what God wants from me. And I think I know what he wants from you. Are you ready for this? This is important. Stay with me. Everybody okay? In the back? I'm going to preach from back there tomorrow. Here it is. Here's what I think God wants. He wants us to have an intimate, ongoing relationship with him. <laughs> Isn't that it? Oh, intimate. You understand intimacy. I'm talking about the most intimate relationship you could have with anybody. More intimate than you could have with a spouse. More intimate than you have with your children. An, an intimate, ongoing. You understand ongoing? That's John 15. I'm the, I'm the Brian, you're the branches. As long as you remain intimate, ongoing, has to keep going, can't stop. If it stops, you have to get it back. Intimate, ongoing relationship. The Scripture is all about relationships. Our relationship to God, the Trinity's relationship to each other, our relationship to each other. Intimate, ongoing relationship. And if we have that, if we have an intimate, ongoing relationship, if we have that, then we will go to heaven. <laughs> we will not go to hell. We will have eternal life here, abundant life here, and we'll have life with Jesus forever. Now, George Barner, the pollster, pastors know this, the pollster for the Christian church, he's the George Gallup of the Christian church, does marvelous uh, uh, surveys and, and gets the right answers and, and puts it out as a poll. He says, now listen to this carefully, <clears throat> he says that 51% of people in American churches today are not going to heaven. Does that shock you? It doesn't me. I think in my denomination, he's conservative. I've read the questions that he asked on that particular poll, and they're just basic Christian questions. And if that's true, if 51% of folks in American churches today are not going to heaven, my question comes, why? What are we doing? What are the, what's happening in our pulpits? What's going on? And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I, 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 it bothers me. And we're not talking about the folks out there. We're talking about the folks in here. 51%. And I've come down to, and this is not quite not original with me, but I think, there, I think there are two reasons, two misconceptions, that's all, just two misconceptions that we have that keeps us from having that intimate, ongoing relationship and therefore will keep us from going to heaven. I think they're just two, two misconceptions. The first one is we think we're going to go to heaven because we deserve to go to heaven. What I mean by that is we think we're going to go to heaven by being good enough. You know, I was asked to give my testimony, and I kind of backed out of it a little bit, but um, 
my salvation testimony. I have the most boring salvation testimony. I was a good boy all my life. I mean, I was. I mean, you know, when I got to Asbury, I did a few. I didn't get shipped, but I did some, you know, crazy things. But I never smoked. I never drank. Never had premarital sex. I mean, just, you know. But it's people like me that have trouble with salvation because we think we're good enough. Folks, you cannot be good enough. There is no way. And the, the reason you can't is a little word called sin, which a lot of churches don't talk about much anymore. Sin separates us from God. That's the whole story. But things, and the problem we've got is that sin to my grandparents' day, all of a sudden, isn't sin for my day. Or sin for my, young, my children's day. Things they call sin and was sin, we just don't even blink at anymore. It doesn't embarrass us anymore. We're not even guilty anymore. This bugs us. I was preaching a camp meeting in L.A. You know where L.A. is? That's lower Alabama. This was the first part of August, way down in southern Alabama. Coat and tie back then. Y'all remember that? I remember it was so hot. It must have been 98 degrees and 98% humidity. Uh, and it's below the Nat line. You, you don't understand the Nat line. Uh, in Georgia, the Nat line runs from Columbus to Macon to Augusta. Anything south of that is called the Nat line. And if you're preaching outside in a camp meeting, then you never breathe in. Because if you breathe in, you won't make it the rest of the sermon. And so you're all, you know, you're always blowing the gnats away. It, it takes, takes a while to practice that, but you can get a hold of it. It was the hottest I've ever been in my whole life trying to preach. The sweat would run off my nose down on my Bible. I was worn slap out after about two days. I remember calling my wife and saying, honey, I can't make it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting sick. I'm getting heat stroke or something. I, I just don't think I can make it. I think maybe in a day or two I need to go to the president of the camp and say, you've got to excuse me. I'm sorry. I, I'm getting sick. Find somebody else. I, honey, I think I need to come home. She said, stay. We need the money. Um, the only relief we ever had was late in the afternoon. Now, now this is three services a day kind of thing. But we got to, we got to be able to re relax from about... 4.30 until about 6. I think supper was at 6. We had a couple hours in there at least. And we'd go back to our room and there were air conditioned, praise God. And we could lay down and we could take a nap like I did today and just, just get strength enough to get through the evening. So that was my time late in the afternoon. A lady came up to me, I don't know, a couple of days into the camp meeting. And she said, she introduced herself and she said, I'm in charge of the third and fourth graders. And she had about 30 third and fourth graders. And she said, I'd like to know if tomorrow afternoon, about 4 or 5 o'clock, if you could come over to our, our little place we meet with the kids and you could speak to our kids during my rest time. I had no desire, zero desire to speak to third graders when I was supposed to be resting. But I said something like, Oh, I would love to. And I did. And I got over there, and I was tired. I was hot. 
about 30, third and fourth graders. I can see it now. We were, we were all sitting on the floor in a circle. And uh, the cutest kids you have ever seen, just full of energy, just, you know, just like third graders are, third and fourth graders. And, and we were sitting in a circle, and, and I, I just told them about Jesus and how much Jesus loved them, how much he cared for them. I probably didn't talk 10 minutes. And I said, I, I think we need to go, but I want us to pray. And so here's how, what I want you to do. I want you to fold your hands, and they folded their hands. I said, I want you to bow your head, and they bowed their heads. I said, I want you to close your eyes. They closed their eyes. And I started to pray. And as I started to pray, I wasn't in the prayer very long when, when I heard a child crying. And I looked up as I was praying, and a little girl, beautiful little girl, big brown eyes, brown hair, was just starting to cry. And the more I prayed, the louder she got until she was uncontrollable. She was just bawling. Tears were just streaming. And so we closed the prayer. We got the kids out. The counselor asked me to come over. She said, I can't get her to stop crying. See if you can help. So I said, honey, you got to stop crying. She couldn't. Finally, I talked enough that she finally just slowed up a little bit. And I said, can you tell me what's wrong? I didn't know if she was hurt or something back in the, I didn't know. And I said, why are you crying? She said, this morning, I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins. I'm thinking, how many sins can a third grader have? And I said, did he forgive you? And she said, I think so. I said, I know so. I said, but why are you crying? She said, this morning I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I said, wonderful. Did he come into your heart? Yes. I said, that's great, but why are you crying? She said, because. I said, because why? She said, because at lunchtime today, I already said something about somebody else. And her heart was broken. We prayed. I helped her pray for forgiveness. She was fine. She left. And I sat there on the floor for, I know, at least another hour. And, folks, I'm, I, I could not stop crying. And all I kept asking God was, why? Why can't adults' hearts break like that when we sin? Why can't the older we seem to get, is it so hard to ask for forgiveness and to repent of sin? Why? When a child's heart is so tender and we've become so hardened, why? Sin separates us from God. There has to be forgiveness. You, you can't be good enough. My, my grandfather... My grandfather on my mom's side was the greatest man of God I've ever known. He wasn't a pastor. He did teach adult Sunday school to the Sunday before he died. He, uh, he had more influence on me than any man ever could. I, I, he died when I was a freshman in college, and I, I wish he'd have lived longer because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to know, to, you know, to, to grasp it, to, to see what he was trying to share with me. He, he was so good. My, uh, my grandmother told me a story about him after he died. She said, nobody knows this in the church, but every, um, every Sunday morning about 8 o'clock before Sunday school, he would go down to the DeKalb County Jail in Decatur. He had a relationship with a jailer, and he would bail out the drunks that had been thrown in the drunk tank on Saturday night. Sometimes there wasn't anybody. Usually there was one or two or three. They just put them in the drunk tank, kept them overnight. 
he had a relationship with the jailer, and so he got to go there, and he would pay their fine. It wasn't much, but he paid their fine. And he would tell the guys, he said, if you will listen to me for five minutes, I'll give you $5. That was a long time ago, and that was a lot of money. Nobody turned him down. And he just told them about Jesus. Every Wednesday night at our church was prayer meeting night, and prayer meeting night we always had testimonies. Not one time did I ever hear my granddaddy say, let me tell you what I did Sunday. He just wouldn't do that. I spent the night with him. I came back from Asbury and spent the night with him the night he died. We're at the funeral home the next night. He was an older man, outlived most people. But it was packed with children and teenagers and families just reminiscing and just sharing about my granddaddy. One man came up to me and said, Tom, your granddaddy was such a good man. I said, he certainly was. I said, he was the best man I ever knew. And the other man said, he was the best man I ever knew too. I'll never forget him. He was so good. And then he said this, your granddaddy was so good, if he didn't get to heaven, none of us have a chance. And I'm sorry I didn't do it, but inside of me I'm shouting, no, 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 you don't understand. My granddaddy is in heaven, but it's not because he was good. You can't be good enough. He couldn't be good enough. He's in heaven because when he died, he had an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus. That's why he's there. That's the only reason he's there. You can't be good enough. The second misconception is we think we can get to heaven by earning our way to heaven, by doing enough things. I, uh, I see it all the time. I ask questions. I took EE training, evangelism explosion. I know the two questions. And the second one, you know, if you think you're going to heaven, you know, why do you think you ought to go to heaven? And I hear this. I go to church every Sunday. Good. Good. It's not going to get you to heaven. I read my Bible. Praise God. That's not going to get you to heaven. I pray every day. Wonderful. Pray for me while you're praying. But that's not going to get you to heaven. Are you with me? You can't do enough good things. I, um, I have this thing that I like to do that my wife always says I say too much. And so I'm going to tell you too much. One of the things I like to do is walk through graveyards in the daytime. And uh, I like the old tombstones. I'm so sorry you can't read so many of them now, but... But those people back then, they wrote better things than we write now. There's a, there's a tombstone where, where I used to live in, in Monroe, Georgia. Um, there's a tombstone. Let's see if I can find it. Where did I put it down? Here it is. Excuse me. You will have to understand I'm from Georgia, okay? And um, one thing I was told not to make a mistake about here is don't ever use the M word. The M word. You know, you, most of you know the M word, and so I will not say Michigan. Um, oh, you know, um, you don't say that. I understand that. That's like us saying Auburn. You know, we don't do that either when you're a bulldog. There was a man who lived in the town in Monroe where I lived for a long time. I pastored a church, the first church there, and, and um, he was called Mr. Bulldog. 
Some college football fan um, ranked him the number one football fan in America. His name was Herschel Scott. Just a, he, everything he owned, every piece of clothes he owned was either red or black. You understand? That'd be like blue and what? No, that's not blue. What? Crimson, is that it? What's the color? What is it? No, I don't want blue and gold. It's the other one. Ohio State. What's that? Is it red? Red and gray. Scarlet. I knew it wasn't red. Don't get me in trouble, Jody. Don't do it. No. I've been in trouble enough this week already. Scarlet and gray. That's what I thought. Yeah. That'd be like Scarlet. So anyway, everything he wore was red and black. His house was red and black. His car was red and black. You could go up to him and sing the Georgia Fight song, and he'd give you a 50-cent piece, you know. I mean, he just, it's that kind of guy. He had his tombstone fixed up about 15 years before he died. Now, he filled in part of it later, and you'll understand why in a minute. I knew this man. Let me read you what's on his tombstone. Herschel Bulldog Scott. Bulldog born, bulldog bred, here I lie, bulldog dead. I'll show it to you. Come to Monroe. It gets better. On the other side, it's got this head, Georgia Bulldog head, and it's in color. Tombstone's in color, red and black. And then under that, this was filled in later, 471 consecutive games attended. 60 total bowl games attended. And down the bottom of it says, how about them dogs? D-A-W-G-S. How about them dogs? There's another tombstone, though, in that cemetery, the one I really want to talk about. Not making fun of this man, I was his pastor. I, I did the service at the grave. Um, I want to read you his tombstone. Had his name, and this is, what it's, this is what it says. Lawyer, churchman, historian, scholar, and author. First undergrad... First honor graduate, Monroe High School, class of 1925. ROTC, United States Army, University of Georgia, 1925-1927. Honor graduate, University of Georgia, class of 1930. North Georgia Methodist Conference Board of Missions for four years. Delegate to the annual conference of the Methodist Church for many years. Trustee steward, Sunday school teacher of the Monroe Methodist Church. Member of the Athens Historical Society. Member of the North Georgia Conference Historical Society. Author of this trail of splendor and glory. I read that and I said, you know what? Those are good things. All of them are. But there's not a one I'm going to get him to heaven. Not a one. And then I started thinking, Tom, what would you like on your tombstone? You probably never thought about that, but I have. Now, first of all, I don't want a tombstone. Just cremate me and put my ashes on a trout stream. Let it help the fish, you know. And it can, you know. When Jesus comes back, he'll put it all together. Don't be concerned, folks. He can do that. But if I did, what would I want on it? And, and here's, what, here's what, I, um, what I've come up with. Uh, it's a work in progress, but something similar like this. Tom Atkins, my birth date, and then another date, September 17th, 1965. Now he's with Jesus, born again. 
Isn't that it? That's it. That's all. Well, let me give you just, I'm just going to list you a couple of scripture and um, tell you two quick stories and I'm through. You okay? All right? Kids, you all right? Not asleep. Praise God. Just classic scriptures. Um, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except evangelist. <laughs> Not Joe, but me. Okay. No, no. All. All have sinned. That's what messes up the goodness part. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and then the next two scriptures are, are conditional promises. I talked about conditional promises the other day. Usually starts with the word if. If this takes place, this will take place. If this doesn't take place, this is not going to take place. So here are the conditional promises. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he, meaning God, is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and listen, and cleanse us or purify us. Cleanse us from all iniquity or sin. The last one is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, that means if anyone has faith in Christ, Greek word pistuo, that means faith. That means it's such a faith, it's not a hope so or think so, it's a I know so. Anyone has faith. That's what we're talking about here. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a brand new creation. You hear me? Brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Isn't that cool? That's what I talked about the other night. You know, God says, you know, I forgive you and I, for, I, I forget your sin. They're gone. Whew. You're made clean. You're made holy. You're made pure. Now, the question I have as we end getting close to the end here, is this. Are you positive? Are you sure that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus? Are you positive? See, I ask that question everywhere I go, and I'll tell you the answers that I get mostly. Well, I hope so. I think so. I want to, and after all, nobody can be sure except the Word of God says differently. 1 John 5, 17 says, these things, it's the same author as the gospel, okay? These things, everything John wrote in all of Scripture, these things are written for one purpose, he says, so that you may know so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, folks, we're living in a tough world. I dealt with two suicides last week. Young people, children. I, I want to know for sure. And the gospel says I can know for sure. I can leave here tonight, not have any doubt, have no fear of death. I can know that I know that I know. I, uh, I had the most humbling experience of my life a good many years ago. For the first time, I was asked to preach chapel at Asbury University, Asbury College back then. Dr. Dennis Kenlaw was the president. He called and asked me if I would do it, and I said, I think you've got the wrong number. 
I hadn't, I hadn't been gone that long. I mean, I, I was, well, I had. I was an evangelist, so it had been 20 years, but still. I said, are you sure you want me to do this? He said, yes. So I flew up to Lexington, and, and, but, but let me tell you, as I was getting ready to go up there, I do something before I fly that I should never do, and I tell you, do not do what I do. I still do it, but don't do it, okay? I watch the Weather Channel. It's stupid. It's dumb. I love the Weather Channel. I got it on my phone. I look at it all the time. I've seen it three or four times today. It doesn't do any good, but I do it. My granddaughter had a, had a thing in school where grandparents were invited to come, you know, to, we do that occasionally, and, and uh, they were asked, you know, the grandparents' favorite color and all, and blah, 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 and she said, your grandfather's favorite TV show, she put the Weather Channel down. But that day, that day, when I was getting ready to fly from, from Atlanta to Lexington, I saw that there was a storm front about the time I was going to fly, a storm front from the Gulf all the way to New England. And it was a huge storm front. My wife said, you're not going, are you? I said, yeah, I'm going. She said, they won't take off. I said, well, I want to be there in case they do. And so I went. I told her, I said, you know, if it takes off, the pilot will go under or over, and they're not going to go through the storm. So we're about halfway there, and all of a sudden the pilot comes on on the PA system and says, I'd like everyone to be seated and put their seatbelts on, please. And then he stay, said the most understated word I've ever heard in my life. He said, we are in for some inclement weather. Duh. Inclement? And then, listen for this clue. Then he told the flight attendants to be seated and to buckle up. Now, when you're not getting ready to land, and the, I mean, I've seen flight attendants where everybody else is buckled up. They're still going up and down. Now. He said, sit down and buckle up, which meant hang on. Folks, we went through a storm with lightning popping all around us. The plane was jerking like I've never seen. For some reason, I was on the window. I never sat on a window seat, but I was that day. I was on the window seat, and I smashed my head up against the window. I mean, it was, it was terrible. People were crying. People were screaming. I'm telling you the truth. And all of a sudden, the plane dropped. I don't know what causes that. I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but... It must have been like 300 feet, you know, just shoo. If we'd not been seated on, be belted in, we'd have been on the ceiling of the plane, I promise you. And when that happened, it didn't take me but a second to figure this out. I am getting ready to die. I honestly, I honestly believed within a few minutes I was going to die. And when I came to that conclusion, all it just happened just in a second or two, when I came to that conclusion, <laughs> You'll love this. I got so excited about dying. I, I, I knew that in a few minutes I'd see Jesus face to face. I'd see my granddaddy face to face. I'd see John Wesley. I could talk to him. I, I, got, I was almost disappointed when we landed. All I'm telling you is that, and I'm not bragging, I don't know if this was a a test for me or what, I'm just telling you, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to be in heaven. And honestly, there was not the first fear in my life. 
Well, let me close with this. I want to show you something on the screen that um, some of you, anybody over 45 maybe will recognize. The rest of you you'll have trouble with. Young people, I have no idea how to explain this to you. But let me try. About 100 years ago, no, it wasn't that far. A long time ago, they gave out stamps called S&H Green Stamps. If you bought a dollar's worth, you get so many stamps. If you bought $10 worth, you get so many stamps. And stores and gas stations and all these places gave them out. You collected them, put them in a book, okay? You put them in a book. And then you took that, you had a catalog, and you took that down to a store, and you could, you could pick out a gift. I mean, if you had bunches of them, you could buy big gifts. If you had a little of them, you could buy small gifts. So here's the story. Let me move on. My first church was on Tobacco Road, the Tobacco Road, Erskine Caldwell's Tobacco Road. Dear Mom, my church is on Tobacco Road. And... Uh, when we moved there, our, our first child uh, was four weeks late, the one I told you about that I got in trouble about. Uh, four weeks late, and my appointment, my first appointment, I should have been there four weeks earlier. And I called the district superintendent up and said, you've got to fill this thing in. Uh, you've got to fill this appointment until I get there. Uh, I'm not leaving my wife in Good Samaritan Hospital in Lexington. I, I'm, I'm staying. He said, okay, no problem, we'll fill it in. And so finally, you know, anyway, we, 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 so we, the baby was born. A couple of weeks after that, we load everything we have in a Ford Torino station wagon. You know, the ones that had the grain, wood grain on the side and kind of thing. It was either in it or on top of it. We honestly looked like the clampets, you know, coming down. I mean, everything. All, we had everything there and, and plenty of debt, and that's all we had. And we drove into Gracewood, Georgia, south of Augusta. After we got in and got things kind of settled up, my wife, um, well, I should say, the word came from on high. Oh, let me back up. I was making $5,800 a year and $200 per child. Preachers weren't real smart back then, and they thought if they kept having babies, they'd get more money. But I was making $5,800 a year, and so we had nothing. We had a ton of debt from her schooling and my schooling, and here we are. And so the word came from on high. Thou shalt not shop at any place that doesn't give out S&H green stamps. And so I obeyed the law. If I went to a gas station, back then they were called service stations because they served you. And, and you'd, get, you'd get stamps. And the first place I started putting them was in the glove compartment. And I shoved them in the glove compartment. I mean, from the dry cleaners, the grocery store, the, uh, you know, wherever you went. And I shoved them up in there. Until it was so full, I knew that if we ever opened it again, it was going to come flying out at us. And then after that, they kind of found themselves somewhere in the car. My car to this day kind of looks that way. But um, it, 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 there were stamps on, on the, in the seat that I was sitting on. There were stamps on the floor that I was stepping on. There were stamps on the, on the dashboard that became S&H yellow stamps when the sun bleached them out. And they had no lick on them. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I mean, you remember the, you know, it just, it just left. And so 
After a while, after months, I guess, the word came from on high again, bring forth the stamps. And I'm thinking all the way out of the car, she will not divorce me, but she'll murder me. She'll kill me when she sees the condition these stamps are in. And folks, they were, they were bad. I mean, they were torn, they were wrinkled, they were yucky. You understand yucky? You know, just, just bad looking stuff. So here I am with this pile of stamps. Susan's sitting at the dining, table, dining room table. I can see her. She's got this catalog and these little books. that I, I have one at home. I forgot to bring it. But when you, the, the stamps are so messed up, that, and, you, you know, you use that old orange glue. Do you all remember the orange glue? came out of a horse factory, I think. There was no such thing as Elmer's. And so when she finally got them all in there, the stamps, um, the, the book became an accordion. You know, some of you with me? And so she lovingly sat at the table and starts putting all this stuff in, the stamps in, the stamps in, book after book after book after book. And then she says, come here, I, wanna, I want you, I got something for you to do. Okay, what is it? She said, I got all these stamps together. There's a rubber, rubber band around the stamp books. And she said, here's the catalog, and here's what I want. I said, what do you want? She said, I'm so sick and tired of everything in the parsonage being something that nobody else wants. It didn't happen in Ohio, but it happens in Georgia. Garage sales stuff and they've stuff they've kicked out and it ends up in the parsonage. She says, I want something brand new. I said, what do you want? She said, we need this lamp for our end table in the living room. It's a crystal lamp and it looked pretty to me. And she said, we finally got enough stamps and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to a store on the Fort Gordon Highway, and I want you to take these stamps and the catalog. I'll circuit in the catalog, and I'll earmark it. She said, go in there and, and put the stamps down and tell the lady, that's what I want out of the catalog, and that's what, here are the stamps. I did that. She said, okay, let me count them. Zip, I don't think she really counted them, but she said they were all there. She said, I think we have those in stock. I'll be right back. She goes in the back. She brings a box out. She says, sir, this is a breakable item. It's marked breakable. And if you don't mind, I'd like to open it and make sure it's not broken before you take it home. I said, that's a great idea. And she opened it. And, folks, even I thought it was beautiful. I mean, just a gorgeous crystal lamp. Now, the thing that surprised me as I thought about it, she was willing to take ugly, torn, dirty, worthless, couldn't put them on a letter. Take these stamps that nobody wanted except this lady. And she was willing to exchange, I would give those to her, and in exchange, she would give me a brand new, beautiful lamp. You'll remember when I tell you, you'll remember you could only go to one particular store and it was called a redemption center. Redemption, you redeemed the ugly stamps for something new. That's our redemption center. Where broken lives, wrecked by sin, can come and at the foot of the cross, where God so loved the world that he gave his only son. At the foot of that cross, the blood-soaked Christ, lay our lives and say, I've sinned. Please forgive. 
And he takes our lives and he gives us in exchange a brand new life. For those of us who have an intimate, ongoing relationship, and that's what it's all about. I want you to bow your heads with me, please. Lord God, we, uh, we do come tonight uh, as your children, most of us, I think. But Lord, this is a key night, at least in my preaching, this is a key night. I thank you for speaking. You are speaking to many of us tonight uh, in different areas, but you're speaking to us. And you're asking us to respond to the cross, to respond to your gift to us. The cross makes no sense to us unless we respond to it. The cross is nothing for us unless we give ourselves to you. The cross means nothing unless we have an intimate, ongoing relationship with you. But when we do, our lives become different. We are guaranteed, we, we can be with you <laughs> as long as we have that intimate, ongoing relationship. So Father, I pray even now that you'll speak to us, continue to speak to us. I pray that you would give us courage. I come against the spirit of pride that says, what will other people think? I come against the spirit of saying, I don't need that when we know we do. I come against the spirit of intimidation that the enemy wants to say, you don't need to go when we know we do. Would you speak to us tonight? Would you enable us to come and do what we need to do tonight? And we'll thank you. This will be a red letter day in some people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, folks, let me, let me explain the invitation to you tonight. It's threefold. If I were to come to you tonight before the service started and say, are you going to heaven? Some of you, some would say, no, I'm definitely not. I know I'm not. I'm living in sin. I'm not going. I know I'm not. The invitation is for you. You can change that tonight. But the invitation is also for those who say, if I were to ask the question, are you sure you're going? There are people, adults as well as young people, who say, if I'd answered that question earlier, I'd say, I think I'm going. I want to be sure, but I'm not really 100% sure. I, yeah, I, I think I am. Folks, we're living in a dangerous world. You don't need to leave unless you're totally, completely, positive, sure that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus. Thirdly, the invitation is for those of you who say, I'm a Christian, I know that. I gave my life to Jesus here 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe last year. But I've kind of wandered off. You know, I used to have a plaque in my office that said, if, um, if you're away from God, he's not the one that moved. It's easy for us to kind of go astray. It's easy at camp meeting to stay. It's, it's harder when we get home. And so the invitation is to you to rededicate your life or to, to say, you know, I've lost the fire. I want the fire back. Does that make sense? I want to I wanna tell God again, I'm yours. So it's kind of a threefold invitation. 
I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to lead out in music. If God is speaking to you, please listen to me. If God is speaking to you, go ahead and stand. If God's speaking to you, I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are and come and kneel right here. Again, this is the way I do it. Other evangelists do it differently. If you want me to pray with you or, or Joe or, uh, or any, any, any of the pastors, if, if you want somebody to pray with you, just put your hand up. And we would love to pray with you. A lot of people need people to pray with them. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be left alone with God, we're going to just give you that privacy. But some of us need to be here tonight. Please don't say no. Please don't say no. If God's speaking, you know that. You're sensing that right now. We invite you to come as we sing. All to Jesus I surrender. to Jesus I surrender